In your bulletin, there's a title of this sermon. I just want you to change that to Default Settings. <laughs> Do you know what a default setting is? It's, it's when your phone is misbehaving so badly that you resort to default settings. You say, every single thing I've done on this is wrong. I want to start over. It's a do-over switch. But default settings. I need to say this, and I'm going to say this a couple of times today. I know this might be the hardest thing you've ever faced. The greatest danger in your life of faith isn't calamity, it isn't catastrophe, it isn't transgressions of another person, it's not even the evil one or the devil, who, by the way, is too much for you, but not too much for our Lord. The greatest danger of your faith is you living unexamined. I need to do that. I need to say that. We're going to say this again. So the greatest danger to your life of faith is you and you unexamined just live in your life on a default setting. Let's get into this. I just need to, we're, we're going to be reading from Genesis 26, but first Exodus 20 verses 5 and 6. I need to tell you just a little bit about default settings. This is from the Ten Commandments. Okay, are you ready? This is, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind of image or anything in the heavens or the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down before them and worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am jealous, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I will lay the sin of the parents Upon their children, the entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now, we're going to talk about that throughout today, what that means. But here's his default setting. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Do you see the difference? If you're disobedient, the price of that is three or four generations. But if you're obedient, the reward is a thousand generations. That's a default setting if I've ever seen one. Do you, do you see how unbalanced that is? Good. Here's more from Jeremiah. The people will no longer quote this proverb, the parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouth pucker at the taste. <laughs> As people will die for their own sins, those who eat sour grapes will be the ones whose mouth will pucker. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with you, with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. But this new covenant I will make with those people of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will not teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. Okay. 
So now we're ready. Do you understand? There's a default setting under the new, under the new covenant that God makes with us that says, I'm not going to hold the past against you because I'm going to erase that out of your life and I'm going to hold the future for you. But what's a default setting and why am I making such a big deal out of it? We're going to read Genesis 26 here and it's going to sound remarkably familiar. A severe famine now struck the land as it had before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't go to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. I will hereby confirm that I will give you all these lands to you and your descendants. This does sound familiar. It should. Just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father, I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar, where the men who lived, when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, She's my sister. Right. Now look. <laughs> this is a default setting taught by one parent and learned by the kid. In some churches, they might even call this generational bondage that turns out. And by the way, if you follow these families through this whole thing, the favoritism and the way that Abraham protects himself at the expense of Sarah is learned by Isaac and he protects himself at the expense of Rebekah. But that favoritism for himself and favoritism for kids and Abraham is going to turn into favoritism for Isaac too, between Esau and Jacob. And man, when it takes full blossom in Jacob, you're gonna see favoritism. And all I wanna say is, oh man, the family of promise. This is what happens. This is, this is a default setting. She's my wife. And he thought, they will kill me to get to her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Um, by the way, do you have your King James with you today? No, I have to read out a few Bibles. Okay. <laughs> okay, so caressing, Masahek, not used very often. Um, in the King James is sporting with her. Ooh, racy. Sporting. Sporting with her. Um, it's not uh, cavorting. It could be something. Right, it's pretty clear here that Isaac isn't uh, given Rebecca a hug. And he sees it, right? Clearly it's a husband-wife behavior. Right? You, husbands and wives do have different behaviors 
um, than, than people that are not, right? That's Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, she's obviously your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Does this sound familiar to you? I mean, Abraham did this whole thing to another king, probably a different Abimelech, because Abimelech is probably the Philistine word for king, the Canaanite word for it. I was afraid someone would kill me to get, get her from me, Isaac replied. Abimelech, how could you do this to us? One of my people might easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of a great sin. And then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Any man who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted for the Lord blessed him. Look, the Lord can bless... And it's not necessarily permission to misbehave because the Lord's favor here isn't favoritism like human favoritism. Like, that's my favorite child. I will treat them better than all the rest. Right? If you've ever been the favorite child, you know it doesn't work for the others. Or if, you've never, if you weren't the favorite child, you know it doesn't work for the others. But God's favoritism isn't like that. So the blessing here is mostly about Messiah's coming, and we need this family to survive because Messiah's in this line. But this line is all about adjusted, modified humans. And Isaac still needs some modification. And I only say that because the greatest danger in your life of faith, the greatest danger in Isaac's life of faith wasn't the blessing of the Lord and it wasn't the famine and it wasn't and it wasn't his fear of the people it was fear itself in him causing him to not act in faith my greatest danger in my life of faith isn't calamity it isn't transgression it isn't what somebody does to me it's me not looking at my actions and living in faith. And by the way, if I do that enough, if I don't live in faith enough, it becomes my habit. And if it becomes a habit, then it's part of my character. And then I end up with a destiny that is not based on faith. Sound familiar? The wages of sin is death. I even said this in my Sunday school class this morning. You go to work, it's $10 an hour, it's $15 an hour now. You work 10 hours, you get $150. The wages of that job is $150. The wages of not acting in faith is a life not of faith. And we don't have good people and bad people. We have unredeemed people and redeemed people, and the redemption is a matter of faith, and if you don't have the life of faith, or as James says in chapter 2, what good is a faith that doesn't affect your life? It goes on to talk about the water rights 
And by the way, the Philistines become jealous and kick him out. And, and, and the whole chapter is just a complete replay of Genesis 20 and 21. From Look, they're in a loop. If you don't learn from the past, guess what you're going to do? Repeat it. I'm not going to finish that chapter this day, but it, it ends up with Beersheba being a well of oath and all of that. That's great. But here's the thing I need to talk more to you about. Abraham taught his son Isaac this move, didn't he? I mean, you wouldn't think that out of the gate you would just know to pretend your wife is your sister because that would save your life, especially since she isn't your sister in this case. So when Abraham told a little white lie about his half-sister, Isaac told a flat-out lie, she's my sister, when they weren't. He taught him to play favorites, and you go, boy, that, that biblical family. But on the other side of that, that preset of the greatest dangers of just us just living the way it feels right with not, without any modification from the Lord is a bad plan. It's not just a bad plan. It's a plan that breaks relationships all over the place where you have fights with people because, you know, that person driving on the road cut me off. I'm going to drive really fast and hug their bumper for a while. Just really fast, because that's all we're doing. But what you're really doing is having an action of life that is not based out of faith, but is based out of vengeance and anger. And I'm preaching to myself too, because the greatest danger in my life of faith is that I won't examine my actions and change them and hold up my hands and say, Lord, look at my hands to see if there's any blood on them. If there is, help me change those ways. Look, in some cases, when somebody of faith does something, there is a price do you understand that if you do something wrong in this life and there are consequences, God might not hold them against you forever, but there might be consequences on earth. The wages of that particular action might be jail or, or you might lose a friendship or something like that. And, and more than that, you might teach your kids or somebody nearby that looks up to you that that behavior is acceptable. And then if it's your kids, then suddenly your kids do what you've done. And it's extraordinarily difficult to change the habits you learned in your family. It's just extraordinarily difficult. Do you remember the old sort of thing about the turkey that... that that the daughter would cut the half of the back half of the turkey off and turn it upside down because that's the way her mom did it. Her mom did it because she had a small pan. <laughs> She's got a big pan, all that, but she still do. Look, the habits you t you're taught 
are extraordinarily difficult to change. Now, that's an easy one, and I use it as a byword. But what happens if you teach by your actions to, that people aren't valuable to you, and if they make you mad, they can be ostracized like that, and you do it over and over and over again, and then suddenly your kids learn that that's how you teach people, treat people. The greatest danger to us and our faith life is that we wouldn't examine our ways. It's, it's extraordinarily difficult to do this, too. I'm not saying it's easy, but you know, okay, so like Tom's shoes. Tom's shoes are the ones where you buy one and they give one to Africa. Give a pair of shoes to Africa. It's a lovely sentiment. They're cheap, they don't last, and they've completely destroyed the shoe market in, in Africa. It feels good, though. It's unexamined. Right? I, I could continue to do this, right? The Heifer Project was a really good one. But the one before the Heifer Project, they brought in foreign animals to buy a cow, and they'd bring one in from a foreign land, and it didn't have the diseases. It had different diseases. Right? It's sort of the story of the American West. Diseases, diseases. Right? So how we do this, how we, how we acknowledge when, when you become aware that something in your life is not godly, how do you change it? Stop. Stop. Excellent. Okay. But now you've stopped, and everybody around you in family dynamics does this thing like they've got an old behavior, they've got a standard preset behavior, and, and the example that they give you to share in family systems is this, that let's say um, a member of your family is trying to lose weight, and they're trying to lose weight, and they start to lose weight, and everybody's used to them being heavy. And so in the grocery store shopping, extra candy gets purchased so that that person can be heavy. And you think, well, that's really trivial. No, that's the way family systems go. It's why New Year's resolutions are so difficult because you have to maintain them until they become the new normal. But there, here's the other system. We've seen this in so many families. I've seen it myself. A rebellious team. And some other kids that are not rebellious in the family. The rebellious teen leaves and moves out. Another kid starts to be rebellious because the system is used to fighting. It's extraordinarily difficult to turn off the defaults and to choose Christian settings in your life. How about this one? How, how do you learn how to read the Bible if you don't read at all? And you say, well, I'm going to read the Bible, and you just tell yourself that. But, but the default setting is that you don't read. And so you have to start and keep at it. And you have to keep at it so long that it starts to be valuable to you, and that your life feels empty without it. That means you've changed a default setting. 
That's how difficult it is, but it's like that with all sorts of things. And I didn't have permission to share other examples, but I just need you to know that if you've got a bad habit in your family, changing that will bring the ire of your family upon you while you're changing it. And I don't know how to tell you this. That's what's kind of going on here in the Genesis story. The default setting is, well, I have to protect me. I'm the blessed one. But the fact of the matter is, the promise also goes through the wife. By the way, I mean, I, I don't need to do basic biology in here, do I? That there's no children without both halves of the equation. And we just do this thing. My father-in-law used to say it this way. Say, even when you get a used car, you need to put at least a car payment into it every year. Otherwise, it just degrades and falls apart. If you're going to live a life of faith, you need to put deposits on that life of faith all the time, or your faith just does not develop. This is my father-in-law. His point was that a used car isn't free in perpetuity. If you just keep driving that car, you will drive it into the ground. And if you get used cars and you don't, and you drive them into the ground, then you'll be like the neighbor that has 15 cars in their yard. <laughs> and everybody will be happy to live in the neighborhood with you. <laughs> Every one of your actions and my actions affects the witness of Christ around us. How we treat each other, how we treat non-believers. When we don't think people are looking. Look, I, I, I need to make sure you know that I'm not perfect. I'm still in this examination and change. And so what I say is, that we need to be thoughtful and pray through our actions and not just default to the way we were taught. Because the way we were taught was most likely wrong. And I can give you lots of examples about this. Um, my parents went on a retreat when I was 16. Some of you have been on those. But before that, they were not huggers. And I'm telling you, when my parents came home when I was 16 and they were huggers, that was hard. <laughs> That's an easy thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's an easy thing. But I also have told you in the past that I remember specifically when I thought that my parents came to faith. And my parents would say, oh no, you were in the nursery as a baby when we were going to church. And I said, I don't understand about five, when I was about five, six, seven in there, I start, we started going to church. I very clearly remember starting to go to church about that age. And they go, no, but what happened then was this moment of faith happened. So the reason I'm telling you this is this, my little witnessing eyes, 
understood that they were going to church without meaning it and disregarded it. I don't know. I, I mean, I've had this discussion with my mom. She goes, oh, that's not how that happened. But when you were that age, this one moment happened and we changed. The world's watching. They're not all going to be Abimelech going, why did you do this to us? Be different. They're not all going to be that. Some of them are just going to go away and think, man, those Christians, all mouth, no action. Or, man, hypocrites. Are we going to be the chosen people? We should apply that style of life and that thought process to every action within us. Or as the end of Psalm 139 said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lord Jesus, help us not just live the way we always have and be the people we've always been. Help us be changed and renewed and redeemed and live like no one else because we have a Lord like no one else. In your precious name, Lord, amen.